I'm Nikia Cheney. And I'm Cassidy Parong. And I'm Raina Shalise. And you're listening to Amplify, where we provide space to amplify the voices of students who have not been historically heard at Cabrillo. That would include Black, Chicano, Chicana, Latino, Latina, Indigenous, Asian, and any other group of students who feel marginalized on our campus. This podcast series was made possible by support from the Faculty Grants for Student Success, FGSS, and the Associated Students of Cabrillo College Grants, ASCC. If you want to join in this conversation or support our programs, please reach out. We'd love to hear your voice. Hello, everybody. This is Nikia Cheney, and welcome to another episode of our wonderful Amplify podcast. Today, we're going to be talking to two students um, who will be sharing with us the research they did on a very beautiful, beautiful book um, that I'm definitely going to want to use for my class. So today we have Molly. Molly, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Molly McCormick, and I am very excited to do this podcast today. I'm also a little nervous, but I'm mostly just excited. (laughs) Yay, welcome, Molly. And we have Divine, who I am definitely mispronouncing, Devonay, but I think we're at Divine. (laughs) Hi, my name is Divine, or Devonay, or Dev. I will respond to pretty much anything, Um, and we're really excited to unpack this book with our dear teacher, because um, it was amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's introduce the book. Um, so what's the name of the book? And you guys tell me a little bit about how this came about or you know, what's going on before we dive into the book. Tell me a little bit about the backstory. So when um, I think it was at the be- almost at the beginning of the semester, we were asked if we wanted to do a podcast um, in our literary African American literary class, literature class, and it was around um, Black History Month, and I was walking into the downtown Santa Cruz Library and saw this book and. I saw the book, You Are Your Best Thing by Tarana Burke and Brene Brown. And the first thing that captured me were the three beautiful souls on the front cover. And it was this book that just drew me to it. And I started reading it. And I started asking myself a lot of questions throughout the process. And I said, this would be a cool podcast. And then lo and behold, we had the opportunity as the English class to go to the Watsonville Cabrillo campus and participate in the Amplify podcast. And I had the opportunity to ask Molly if she would be interested in unpacking this book with me because I think it needed two perspectives. And so that's kind of how this all came about. What are your thoughts? I was really excited when you asked me if I wanted to do it. And I was really excited to um, get to read this book. I had not ever heard of it before. So um, in reading it, I really, it took me a while. I had to, so I listened to it. Um, I got it it on Audible and I had to listen to all the essays multiple times 
to really absorb the stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, I'm, I'm so happy you chose this book. I had um, looked at it independently of you guys. And I, I'm just really happy that you chose to kind of do a deep dive and to look into it. Yeah. Now it's an anthology of, of essays. You are your best thing. So tell me about it. There are different essays from different authors um, tell me about it. Tell me about that a little bit. What is this book? So, and this is um, kind of how we were, we've been talking about how we would present this work is we felt that the meat of this conversation and the outline of this conversation was actually in the introduction of this book. Um, Tarana Burke texted Brene Brown and asked her, are you interested in having a conversation with me about the black experience? And so they unpacked the book and they asked, I believe, what was it? 16 or 17 contributors to give their story about what it meant for them to understand what shame is, understand what vulnerability is, understand what the black experience is, understand joy and resilience. And so we decided after reading the book, both of us chose one story to kind of unpack. And then uh, we collectively started to unpack the very last story. So if you go to the third slide, this is a bit more about the book. It was co-created as an anthology. It's a space to recognize the process of trauma, of white supremacy and space to be vulnerable, to affirm the fullness of black life and black possibility, a space that gives black humanity breathing room. And this is one of the things that I really, I really, it really struck me when Tarana Burke shared unless you understand black humanity, you can't have the opportunity of contributing to the conversation of the black experience. Mm -hmm. No, and I love this. And I wanna say for our listeners um, that Molly and Devonay have created a beautiful slide, um, a slideshow of images about this book. Um, And we're gonna include that with the podcast so you can kind of fully um, fully see what they did with this. They did do this as a research project. Um, but I love this idea about um, being a space for Black possibility, right? I mean, that's such a beautiful, beautiful way to start that out, just kind of having it as a space for Black possibility. So Molly, what else, Molly or Devine, what else? what else kind of jumped out at this book? So it, we know it's an anthology, but what else is going on? What would you like to say? (laughs) Well, Molly and I, because we've, this has been a really interesting process of unpacking it together because we didn't know each other at the beginning of this process. Mm -hmm. And um, we were both nervous with the racial component. Um, Molly is a white woman and I am a black woman. And so we see things differently. So it was really cool to just start unpacking each anthology. And because Molly had the opportunity to hear it and I had the opportunity to read it, we both texturally brought something different to the conversation. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's dive into that a little bit. Like, you know, I guess the nervousness of doing this together and then kind of listening to it and then actually going through and reading. So I was gonna say I actually um doing it with divine has made me a lot less nervous she makes me so comfortable (laughs) um i've very much enjoyed this whole process with her um and in reading the book divine has also given me other Oh, yes. Um, Other things to look into, which has been really cool. Um, Like, so um, I shared with, um, and this kind of, I needed, it was really important to me for Molly to understand what being a Black person in America is like. And so I shared with her a book called The Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. And she had the opportunity to watch the um, lecture from Dr. DeGroy. And after she did that, she was like, I get it. <laughs> She's like, thank you. We're sharing it, was, that. it was a really good lecture. And it put a lot of these um, stories into perspective. Mm-hmm. It is a, I recommend everybody who reads this book <laughs> to watch her lecture and also to read post-traumatic slave syndrome. <laughs> no, no, this is, and this is what I love. This is what's so cool about, you know, anti-racist work too, is that there's this, this joy in discovering and finding connections with each other and mm-hmm. listening and really paying attention. I think sometimes we get lost in the, you know, the, the anger and the pain and the shame of it and the, and expressing frustration and, you know, unpacking all these concepts that we forget about the human connection. And so I'm really happy that you guys found that um, and found that with each other. Now I wanna dive in the book. Yes. So on um, the next page, I believe we, uh, so one thing about the slideshow, once everyone gets the opportunity to see it, um, the images are from the people who are in the book that we chose to work with and um, on the slide, on slide number four, that is Kiara in Paris, um, who was Toronto Burke's daughter, and she's also one of the stories that we chose uh, to from through her perspective. And so I think let's go ahead and start with the first story, which was the one that Molly chose to unpack. So I chose uh, Tanya Field, Dirty Business, the messy affair of rejecting shame. And I, this one really stood out to me. So again, I listened to it and the authors themselves read the stories and her cadence through the whole thing was very fun to listen to. She sounded so strong and so powerful throughout the whole essay. That was that was fun to listen to. Um, but she talks about how her whole life, she doesn't remember not feeling ashamed of who she was from the color of her skin to the broadness of her nose, you know, how 
she says that she was fat and like 300 pounds and that she had six children from four fathers and had been bred to feel ashamed of all of these qualities from a society that is telling her that she was not good enough and she then goes on to explain that she wasn't born feeling ashamed of herself but it was embedded into her and i that really struck me and she had to unlearn that and that was something that now she goes around and she is part of the black feminist project mm -hmm. and she teaches people to empower themselves and she's i i i just found her so impressive and strong yeah and when molly chose this story to unpack i hadn't read it yet and then i started reading it and each part of this conversation um, is something that i felt myself you know my shame and my guilt for existing for being viewed as ugly and undesirable going back into that narrative that black is not beautiful which is also something that we went over in the course you know black is beautiful and as um, Molly was sharing about the cadence of it. She consistently goes through this rhythmic story of the shame that she just felt for being her, which wasn't fair. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I really stood into this conversation and was like, oh my gosh, I'm peeling layers of onion back off of my body because I felt this way too. And it brings it back to the very beginning of Brene Brown and Tarana Burke's work is that they needed for us to see us, they needed to see, they needed to share with us that they were human and that humanity in all of us, we all feel a little bit of shame. And that was one of the um, key points throughout this book. Yeah, no, I, I, I love this story as well, too. And you're absolutely right, right? Because these ideas of her identity, right, are just all intertwined with sort of society's ideas of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. You know, like you said, she has children from many different fathers. Um, she is, and, and the picture that we're looking at, you guys, if you go to the slides, we're on the slide, that says unpacking Tanya Denise Fields. Um, she's just this regal, beautiful. So beautiful. And I, it blows my mind how many times she called herself ugly in this essay. Blows <laughs> my mind. Mm -hmm. I want to look that good. I want to rock oh that right? Right? Like, oh. I want to walk like that. I want to have that composure. And she's gorgeous and she's beautiful, but she has all these internal feelings of shame and self-hatred. And that's a universal story, right? Mm -hmm. And we really get to see the human cost of racism. Yeah. So I think that that's, that, that's one of my favorite stories, but this, this was beautiful and it's dirty business, right? <laughs> <laughs> so good. The title was good, All, everything about it, because we, I know for myself and Molly, because as we've gotten to learn each other, we've learned each other's baggage. 
we've learned what it means to carry that into the conversation. And the fact that she put it down on paper so eloquently, mm -hmm. I felt like I was talking to a friend while I was reading this story, this little snippet of her life. And I got to understand her perspective, which is quite nice. Yeah, that's another, another thing too, perspective, which is beautiful, which is beautiful. Okay, so we've got, let's see, we've got another story that you guys did, right? Yes. And so this one is a little bit more information about how shame is universal, as we shared. And then this is about uh, the con a conversation she had on the Root website, as well as their podcast. And this just kind of outlines her idea of shame um, and how she moved through it. Yeah. Would you like reading kind of what's on the slide here? This is so beautiful. Um, you're pulling this out of the book, correct? Yeah. I pulled this from a combination of the book as well as this article, which I've included in at the very end of this. And so in the very, in the middle of this, I found the chunk, this chunk to be the most inspiring. We have, we have it inflicted upon us, those of us in already marginalized groups and in turn inflict it upon others. And what she's referencing is racism and the behaviors of racism and what that feels like. And so that is on this page. And then on the next slide, it shares a bit about, this is the second part of shame. I'm not ashamed of something that has ha that's happened. I'm not ashamed of something that I've done. I found that shame is useless. And when I read that, and as we unpacked this book, shame was just another feeling. And once I understood that shame was universal, it helped to kind of release. And I processed my own shame through a lot of her story. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I definitely could relate to that, like that self-inflicted shame and I really liked the breakdown how she explained working through it and rejecting, yeah, rejecting the shame. Mm -hmm. And I like that she talked about that the beginning of the rejecting shame started with the love of her children yeah. and how she wanted to show them what a strong, powerful woman was. And she wanted to model that they don't have to have low self-esteem. They don't have to think that they are ugly and disgusting because they're not. And she wanted to, in order to show her kids that she had to feel that way. And I thought it was just beautiful. Mm, I love that. I, I really, really love that. Right. Like, you know, having that these are my children and I don't want them to carry this legacy. Right. Right. right? Oh. Which goes back into the, the post-traumatic slave syndrome. Right. <laughs> yeah. So within the post-traumatic slave syndrome, it tied in with the epigenetics of what had happened. And so after Molly had already read the story and then I shared with her that lecture and then she reread it and she was like, everything makes sense again. It's great. Showing that 
it's in our souls, unfortunately. And I believe in this story, I don't know if you believe this way, her children saved her. Mm, I love that. I love 100%. That. Yes. They saved her because if she didn't have those six eyes looking back at her, mm -hmm. who knows what would have happened. Mm -hmm. There it is, that human connection again, right? that universal human connection. So I just think that that's beautiful. I think that's beautiful. And then she makes this difference in this quote here. We can feel remorse for the things we've done when something is wrong, but I don't want to confuse the two. Um, a lot of people, you should be ashamed of yourself. And there's no usefulness. She's saying there's no usefulness in that, right? We can, rem we can feel remorse and we can go try to fix it but not to feel that shame. But where's that usefulness and shame? So I, do, I just, I love these lessons here. These are just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous lessons. Yes. And so I um, decided to explore and really dive into unpacking mm -hmm. slide eight, which is Kiara Najira's. I think I'm saying that correctly. I've heard her say it, but I may be getting it wrong. So please apologize. Um, and I do want to share that there is a bit of a trigger warning in this unpacking because um, she does talk about sexual abuse. And we will probably approach the feeling of queerness within this. So that might be triggering for some. So I just wanted to share that before we start unpacking her story. And so one of the things that I've been really trying to focus on in my own personal growth is joy. How to find joy in everything, how to find joy in even the weirdest of things, because I can use joy more than I can use pain. And it helps me feel better as a person. So this story, filling every page with joy, rewriting trauma and shame, was hard actually for me to read because um, I lived a lot of this story in a very different perspective. Um, oh gosh, I cried when I read it too the first time. Um, I didn't have a family that supported me through a lot. So I always had to be resilient. I always had to um, overcome obstacles alone. And um, this story shared with me that um, all of the abuse and all of the sexual trauma that has happened to me over the years is not my fault. And her story shared that. Um, one of the things she shared is when you live in rage, nothing is ever enough. And I, I lived for years in anger and in rage because I didn't know how else to fuel a conversation because I didn't trust anyone. And to, to read it actually took me back because I cloaked myself in shame and I everything that I did that wasn't right, it was my fault. And so for 10 years of my life, I thought I was wrong. Everything that I did was wrong. And so reading this, helped a lot. I wanted, and one of the things she said is I wanted to feel home in myself. And that happened to me actually through the pandemic because my life had been going and going and going and going and going. I did not, I didn't allow myself to catch up to myself because I didn't want to deal with myself. 
And so the pandemic actually helped really unpack that because I had to stop. And within this story, she really, un she really unpacks what rage is and what rage, how rage and shame and resilience enabled her to stand within her body and share that I am worthy of the attention and the love in a safe space. And within her story, she shares that when she found herself was when she was a stripper on stage as a queer woman. And I was never a stripper, but I definitely had my share of very eccentric jobs. And I remember being able to be in front of a room of thousands of people and I had the opportunity to determine their experience. And that's what I, I felt like I had come alive. And so that's one of the reasons why I constantly, I performed and I was on stage and I was here and I was on there. And, and I found myself under the glaring lights of a stage, which is what she, how she found herself, which was kind of impactful. And um, I guess what she, um, what she said towards the end of this was quite rich for me. She shared on page 115, filling every page, uh, filling every uh, page with joy in her story. This isn't to say that no one ever cared that I was abused, but it isn't to say that, uh, but it was the first time that someone did anything about it. Watching this person who had grabbed her and exposed himself, watching this person get reprimanded, felt that, she, felt that someone actually cared for her. And um, I didn't come into someone caring for me until much later in my life. And um, it, was, it was really rejoiceful to know that I had someone in my corner for the first time in years. And so I really resonated with her story because she stepped into every conversation wanting to be in her body. And that's what I desired. And I'm starting to understand what that is in my body. Okay, so let's let's go back. I wanna I wanna go back. I didn't want to interrupt you. Number one, no. um, you cried a little bit, uh, just even talking about the story and connecting it with your story. So I want to acknowledge that, right? I want to acknowledge the emotion, and I want to acknowledge the tears. There's nothing wrong with feeling, right? We tend not to want to feel, as if crying is shameful, right? We're pushing away from that. It's okay to feel. It's okay to have that. It's okay to have that space. And then looking at this story and looking at someone coming out of trauma, right? Trauma is something that's done to our bodies. Um, trauma is something that's done to our minds and our feelings and our emotions. And it has those indelible marks that are placed upon us. And thinking about reshifting that trauma to something that's joyful and allowing yourself to be cared about and loved. That's huge. That's a huge, huge, huge story, right? Right? And so I can really see how your own story is kind of moving along in that trajectory with this story, right? And so I kind of want to just pause for a second. <laughs> uh, no. And just say, hang on, hang on, breathe. 
right? Like this is a lot. This is a lot that you're getting out of this. That's that's beautiful. I'm I'm so happy that you shared that with us. What was I I when I first read it because um, I've read it several times. Um, I I had no idea that six pages of, six or seven pages of words could pre invoke this feeling in my in my skin. I didn't know something like that was capable mm -hmm. and knowing that helped me also really tailor how I approach the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's the rage, right? Moving through the world with this rage. You know, I looked up the definition of anger and rage and it's all about desiring to change, right? Something has to be changed and it's shame and pain in there as well too. And letting that go and having that acceptance and having that, that sense of, you know, I'm, I can be loved. I can move through this world wanting and taking in um, and being loved, right? And what's sad is that sometimes we have to learn. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we have to. It's not something that we just walk through the world with. That's what makes me sad about it, right? That we have to actually learn that it's okay to be loved by someone. It's okay to feel that joy and feel that, that sense of happiness and acceptance. So I think that's what was so powerful to me, is thinking about that anger and that rage and thinking about what's the cure for it. And it's the joy. Joy, love and joy, I found are some of the most powerful things in the entire world, in the entire world. Mm -hmm. Love and happiness. <laughs> it always makes me think of the Al Green song. <laughs> Molly, um, did you, you want to add to this, Molly? I, I liked how Kaya addressed something that I think is something that women or anybody in an, in an abusive situation can do. And I don't know that it's always talked about that the first time she was abused, she actually talked about how she was more concerned for her abuser than they were for themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And yeah. that they ended up going to their abuser and be giving them a hug and seeing how they were doing and how they were feeling about the whole situation and how Kaya ended up really putting their own emotions in the back burner. And even though it made them feel sick and disgusting, they were, they were like, I don't know why I did this, but I put my abuser's feelings before my own. And I feel like that happens with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I like that they addressed that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a trauma <laughs> response that we don't talk about. Yeah. We, we, we think of like, you know, especially with like sexual abuse or rape, you know, why didn't you fight back? You know, why didn't you stand up? Why didn't you do? Well, sometimes your trauma response is a, to appease. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes your response is to say, I'm going to push myself down and give back to my abuser. Um, and that's just as valid 
as the other response. You're still being hurt and you're still being abused, uh, but your response is different. It's a survival mechanism. It really is just a survival mechanism, right? And you can get ostracized for that or you can get treated badly for that. So I, I, I love that you mentioned that, that yeah. we need to talk about these things, right? We need to understand what is exactly happening here, you know? Um, yeah, it's just a trauma response. That's all it is. Absolutely. And that is exactly like people do come back and go, like what you said, say, well, you didn't do anything or you're friends with them. And it's partially your fault. You wore that thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I wore that skirt or, you know, yeah. Or even if you're in an abusive relationship, well, why did you stay so long? (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Why did you stay so, or even if you're in the abusive relationship, you might think in your head, well, it really wasn't that bad. Oh, he went and got me flowers. (laughs) Bingo, bingo, right? And it's like, no, no, we've got to kind of unpack it. So, you know, I, I love that. And underneath all of that is that that shame and that that sort of self-abasement and that self-abuse that we do to ourselves sometimes. So. Yeah, this, this, this story was, I mean, every story that is in this book gave me that kind of reaction. But I was really, really glad to come through this one because it really did approach everything that I think a lot of us women right now we're going through. Um, that it is our fault if these things do happen within our society, that um, it's our fault. And sometimes it's not. And the conversation needs to happen without fear. So. All right, so this is one of our favorites. Um, The author of the book, Tarana Burke, closes out this beautiful anthology with a letter to her future self. Why don't you go ahead and start? So I listened to this a few times. One, because it took me a second to really unpack what it was Toronto was saying. Um, And in the end, I felt I got a deeper understanding of it once Divine and I really sat down and talked about it. But what I got out of it was that The expectations that she felt for herself were so high that she had to be perfect, that everything that she did like had to be the top of the top because of, and I think that this is part of the Black culture, that Black people don't feel like they have room to make mistakes because they're going to be so harshly judged. So she had to be the best of the best. She, she didn't have room to sh- share her emotions. You know, she can only be happy or what, I guess she'd said what her, the appropriate level of anger, anger was. Those were the two emotions she was allowed to share. Everything else had to be put into a container, locked away and sealed. And over years, this 
made her unhealthy. It wore down her teeth. She ended up having a stroke. Her bottling up her, her shame and rage wore down her health. She wanted to be perfect all the time. She had to be the best of the best. The, and it wore her, wore it her wore down. Her, it wore her down. And, and what I gathered piggybacks and echoes what Molly's just shared is that with the pressure of perfection that we didn't even identify as being a brown woman, someone else has identified what perfection is for us, which always makes uh, it challenging. And then to, to see how she responded to it and that it broke her down and she still survived <laughs> was incredible and impeccable. And the idea of, of writing to my future self and exposing how I felt throughout that process was actually pretty life-changing for me to even think in that perspective. I really had to stretch my mind to think in that way. And I was grateful that she closed out this book. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And what self-reflection? right? Really to take the time and sit with yourself um, and say, what would you want to tell yourself? You know, what do you, what do you want yourself to know about this moment in this time that you're in now? What have you learned about what you have to stop doing um, and what you feel that you need to continue? It's your calling. You have to continue to do. So yeah, it, it was a beautiful way to close to close that letter, to close the book out. And one of the things that um, I really appreciated about the book, listening, because I listened to the introduction after I read the whole book again, and both Brene Brown and Tarana Burke shared that this concept of this book could be translated to any culture and it could be yeah any any culture and they kept referencing the women in India and the women in South Asia and how we all have been through the same experience through the same road which takes us all through shame but we need to recognize that it's the same road it might be different things that started it but we're all on that same road and this book the that had created a space and with her closing, she closed the I lose that. <laughs> oh yeah, now, just her closure of the um, book was almost like, and I, and I hate to use fire as a metaphor, but it felt like the fire was like extinguished, like someone put out the fire pit and allowed us to sit in the reverence of the smoldering ashes, like as it's all kind of being blown away. Mm. And that was, um, and I felt really secure in the fact that I was now done reading this book because I could go back to it over and over again and discover new parts about myself. But it was nice to know that she's like, thank you, now sit with this. <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I I love what you said too about 
how it was universal. Oppression is universal, unfortunately, in this society, right? In this world that we live in, right? Culture is different. We have different cultures. We have different customs and different traditions. But oppression, right, um, is something we all need to work through. And we all need to think about how we can heal from it and how we can change things. And so her coming back into that universality of it is, is just gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. Um, do you guys want to end off with anything we are talking about? Um, you Are Your Best Thing um, by Tarana Burke with um, uh, Molly um, and Divine. Do you two want to close out with anything um, just from this gorgeous book and from this, this project that you guys put together? Um, I, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I would like to close out by saying thank you that this was such a good experience that I learned so much more than just the book. I learned a lot from you. You shared your story with me. You more things than just the book. You shared different sites I could go on to. You shared different <laughs> books with me. Um, I think that from this experience, I've made a new friend. Yay. And um, I, just, I just had so much fun <laughs> And I have the same, I mean, I can't, we had to really dive deep and we've had several conversations, several conversations and emails over the last month because we had to trust each other to go into this work. And I feel honored that she helped create a space for me to allow that to happen for myself. And one of the things that we kind of spoke about this morning while we were getting ready for this having coffee, um, I would encourage and invite the community that hears this message to write a letter to your future self. And what would that be? How much do you love yourself? What, does, what do your values how do they stand in your values right now? How, how can you talk to your future self and what would that look like? And what would that be? Mm, I love that. I, I, I truly love that. And I'm, I'm so happy you guys found each other. Look at me all. Oh, you too. <laughs> yeah. With teaching, you know, you want the students to get something out of it. Um, like I, I always want my students to get out more than what they had when they came in the door. Right. You know, that's 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 all we can ask is that you leave the class um, with something you've learned. And this is even more than that. It's just it's not just learning something. It's actually being able to go on a journey and connecting with each other in that journey. And I mean, that's going to stay with you for a really long time. And I'm just so proud um, of you guys and proud of this project. And I thank you. I thank both of you so much for giving this book the attention and the care and the love it, it, it deserves, okay? And you've been listening to Amplify, you guys. So go get the book, look at the slides, um, find some people to talk to, you know, get rid of your shame, find some, find some joy in your life and write that letter to your future self. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Amplify, a podcast series for historically unheard Cabrillo students. You can join us by emailing 
Raina Chalice at R-A-C-H-E-L-I-S at cabrillo.edu or me, Nikia Cheney at N-I-C-H-A-N-E-Y at cabrillo.edu or even texting 951-254-3651 or visiting our website at podcastforcabrillo.wordpress.com. And amplify your own voice too.